This is Brain Diet, a life coaching podcast, episode number 84. I'm Taylor Ann Macy, and you are listening to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain good information. Hi, friends. How are you? I am really, really happy to be here. I have been thinking so much about this podcast and putting so much thought into what I want to present to you. And I'm excited to talk to you today about what I have prepared, why what you're eating isn't the problem. Here's what I see both in my clientele as well as just online. It's kind of a typical thing to do online these days on social media and whatnot. People start a health journey, quote unquote, whatever that means. It could be losing weight. It could be just trying to feel better. It could be trying to take care of themselves. People give it all sorts of different labels, but essentially what they're doing is trying to change their current behavior in order to change something physically in some way. So eating healthy or exercising, you know, and healthy is such a subjective word. And so it's really interesting to see how people take that word and apply it in their own unique ways to how they want to change their physical health, mental health, all the things. I heard someone say the other day, I think it was online, someone was like, I haven't had carbs in like 10 days. And I just kind of shook my head a little bit. And I'm like, hold on. (laughs) Carbohydrates are not the problem here. Not having carbs also isn't the answer. Okay. And so it kind of prompted this episode for me because I thought, does everyone think that in order to be healthy, that they have to completely eliminate certain food groups or completely throw out everything that they've been doing and start from scratch and do something drastically different. That's not the case. And I wanted to unpack that a little bit in this episode because people start these type of health journeys and then they quit and then they start again later. It's just this process of getting on the wagon and off the wagon. And I'm here to tell you there is no wagon. There's no such thing. There's just you and the way that you behave. So let's talk today about why what you're eating isn't the problem. When you go from one end to another of extremes, where you do cut out these massive food groups or carbs, or I don't know what it is, whatever it is that you're trying to cut out drastically, that type of behavior comes from a desperation to change quickly. At least that's usually what I see in people's minds when we start to talk about it and coach on it. And Even if you do change physically quickly, because you might cut out all carbs or whatever, you may feel better physically in some way when you make these changes, maybe not all the time, but how you feel emotionally doesn't change just because you change your physical body. Your brain goes with you, whatever happens to your body. And so if you feel emotionally awful, and so you're rushing to change the way that you look, and then you change the way that you look, your brain is still there and going to be thinking the same things. So that's why your mind is so important to pay attention to when you are doing work like this. No matter where you are in your life physically, no matter what your weight is, no matter what your goals are, nothing is wrong with you. If you have started trying to lose weight or trying to take better care of yourself, if you are not trying at all, or if you are starting again for the 15th time, nothing is wrong with you that you need to fix. Okay? So if nothing is wrong with you, we don't need to rush our way anywhere by doing any sort of massive overhaul that we don't want to do. Maybe there are people out there that do want to do it and can have success doing it. But a lot of times I feel like we 
try to implement these behaviors and we don't really want to do it. We just think we need to and we're so desperate to change the way we feel emotionally and so we implement these drastic efforts. I don't think that's necessary. So wherever you are, no matter what your weight is, nothing is wrong so we don't need to rush, okay? Wherever you are, I recommend focusing on one thing. Like at the beginning of the week, when you're kind of planning and evaluating what's happening for that week, focus on getting more water that week. Focus on going to bed at the same time, at a strict time, consistently for the week. Focus on getting good sleep. Focus on walking more. Or focus on planning your food and sticking to that plan. No matter where you are, just find one thing for the next seven days to focus on. Because that little effort will help you. So when people start these health journeys, they're like, okay, what I'm eating is the problem. I need to stop eating what I'm currently eating and eat something different. But they're wrong. What you are eating in your health efforts isn't the problem. The problem is how much you want the foods that aren't strategic for your goals. If you didn't desire certain foods at all, then there would be no problem. You could change what you were eating easily. You could cut out food groups. You could overhaul your diet with no issues. The price you would pay would be a little bit of physical hunger. And physical hunger is gentle and not a big deal. The problem is how much you want the food that is sabotaging your goals, okay? People will start a health journey. And I mean, this is what I'm calling it, a health journey. I don't even know what that means, but you know what I'm talking about. When people are like, I'm going to get back on the wagon and start taking care of myself. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to whatever. I'm going to exercise. So that's why I'm just using the phrase health journey, whatever that means. But people start this. And a few weeks in, they might have been really strict and stuck to what they had planned to do. And they desperately want a certain food. So then they're like resisting wanting it. They're using willpower and being like, I'm not going to want it. I'm not going to want it. I, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to want it. But then when they resist this desire, they eventually cave and then they have some of it. So this process in your brain is you have a desire for something. And when you resist it, it creates more of it. It compounds it. So then when you have this increased compounded desire for something because you're like pressuring and resisting it so much, it, when it gets rewarded you get that much more dopamine. So then the next time that desire is offered in your mind and in your body, it's even stronger. So when you have desire and you resist it in this way, you create more of it and then you reward it by eating it and then you get so much more dopamine. So your brain's like, this is amazing. I want to keep wanting this because when this gets rewarded, I feel so good. <laughs> but then of course, in the moment you feel good and then later you feel crappy because maybe it wasn't in alignment with what you had planned for yourself or your goals or whatever. If you continue to increase your desire for certain foods by just resisting the desire, resisting the desire, resisting the desire, resisting the food, then of course, it will be difficult to reach your weight loss goals or your physical goals because you will have such an extreme desire for something that you won't be able just to not have the thing that you have the desire for. But think about this. For example, I don't smoke. I also don't have any desire to smoke whatsoever. So it is incredibly easy for me to abstain from smoking. Even if someone were like, no, no, try this. Please have one. It's so good. I'd be like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Like I appreciate the offer, but I don't have any desire to smoke. No matter how much you want to push it on me, no desire at all. So it's incredibly easy for me to abstain from smoking because I don't want to do it at all. But I will work with clients that will say, I want to have sugar a while back. And then I went to a party and someone offered me a donut and I wanted it so bad. So I ate it. But if this person didn't want the donut, 
it would be a non-issue. If they didn't want it, it wouldn't be a big deal. It wouldn't be this like massive, all emotional and mental consuming process of trying to resist this donut. So I want to give you an example from my life and I want to see how you could put yourself into the situation just so we can illustrate a little bit how this could be possible for you to decrease your desire for certain foods. I love the red velvet cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. One of my favorite desserts. It's just so massive and large and delicious. Red velvet is one of my favorite things. But first thing in the morning, I will never want a piece of red velvet cheesecake. Like right when I wake up, I don't want it at all. Even if it were sitting right in front of me, even if it were in my fridge, I wouldn't want that red velvet cheesecake. Is there anything like that for you that you love? It's one of your favorite things, but first thing in the morning, you wouldn't want it. And maybe not. Maybe there are certain things in your life that you feel like you want all the time, but I want you to challenge yourself to consider, are there ever any moments when I don't want the food that I love? Another example is I don't want any food during a workout. Like if I'm working out really hard, the thought of a cookie right in the middle of a workout kind of makes me sick. It doesn't really appeal to me right in the moment when I'm doing something super hard. In fact, last week, one of my friends at CrossFit brought a box of donuts and it was like for his birthday or whatever. And he brought it in and I didn't have any desire for that donut when I was working out. I was getting all sweaty and burpees and whatever. It was nonsense. And I just had no desire for that donut. And he offered one to all of us. And so I just brought one home for us all to share at some point. And my husband on the drive home was like, are you going to eat it? Are you going to take a bite? And I was like, no, I don't really have any interest in having a donut right now. And he was like, you don't want the donut? <laughs> and as the day went on, my desire for the donut definitely increased but only by a little throughout the day because I've done so much of this work, right? And so what happened is during the workout, I definitely didn't want the donut. And then after, like maybe a small part of me did, but the majority part of me was like, no, I don't want this donut. And that majority part of me kind of dominated throughout the day where I was like, I just really don't want that right now. Maybe I'll have a bite later. I don't know, but I just don't want it. So having that donut sit on the counter all day long for me was not a problem. I didn't even think about it. It was no big deal. So think about this for yourself. Where could you fit this into your life? Where is something that you love to eat that you could find a moment when you actually don't want that thing? It is possible for every single one of you listening to decrease your desire for food. And every one of you listening could probably find a time when you wouldn't want a certain food. Use that as evidence that it is possible for you, that you could learn how to not desire these foods that you think you might just want all the time. If you've ever heard of the Pavlov's dogs experiment, I know it's one of the most popular um, psychological experiments. I remember my first like freshman year in college learning about this experiment. I think I'd even learned about it in high school as well. But Pavlov, this scientist, and also as I'm explaining this, I might get some things wrong, but you know, I'm not a scientist and I know the basis and the basics of this experiment. So I'm going to offer that to you today and please excuse any <laughs> mistakes. So Pavlov was doing this experiment with dogs where he would ring a bell and then he would feed the dogs a treat or something. And he would continually do this so that every time he rang the bell, he'd give them a treat. After some time of doing this, he would ring the bell and then not give the dogs a treat and they would salivate. They would have this desire for the treat that they were anticipating was coming. This is also what they do in the office. Jim does this to Dwight. You know what I'm talking about? Where he does that with his computer sound and mints? I love that. That's one of my favorite openings of the office. <laughs> anyway, so Pavlov does this. 
he increases the desire in the dogs for food by conditioning them with the sound of a bell. He conditioned them to want a treat. And then he deconditioned it. He did it enough to the point where he would ring the bell and not give them a treat that eventually the dogs stopped salivating. Dogs do not use willpower, my friends. (laughs) So we don't have to either. The dogs would hear a bell, they would get rewarded with a treat, and then they would hear the bell again, and then they would not get a treat, but they'd salivate wanting the treat. And after enough times of not getting a treat, it was amazing how their brains adapted and they stopped salivating. This is the same thing that we can do for ourselves. If we condition ourselves and, and do the right work, we can learn to not have such a visceral response and such a strong desire for certain foods. So I'm going to share with you three things to do to decrease your desire for food. The first thing is to anticipate it. If you know there are certain parts of the day or certain parts of the week where your desire for a certain food or certain food groups is extremely high, then anticipate that. Know like, okay, tonight at eight, I know that I'm going to have a large desire to eat something that I wouldn't normally want to eat if I were to plan it ahead of time or something like that. Anticipate it. Know that it's coming. Step number two, tip number two, is to plan to sit with that desire. When you plan to sit with that desire, that means planning what that's going to look like for you. What that's going to look like when you're sitting there and you have that desire and you can acknowledge that within yourself. And I usually like to recommend having some sort of conversation with yourself to be like, okay, there's this desire that I totally anticipated. It's in my body. I can sit with it. I can pay attention to it. I can watch it and I don't have to respond to it. I don't have to do anything. I can just sit here and watch this desire. And when you don't take the time to just slow down a minute and pay attention to yourself, it's going to make the desire worse. This desire is a messaging system, right? Because you have certain bells, if you will, that are ringing in your life and then that's creating that desire within you. And so what we have to do is just allow that desire to be there. So if you can anticipate it and you can plan to sit with it and you can plan the type of conversation you want to have with yourself when you have that desire, you will already be moving in the right direction. The third step slash tip is to lean into the discomfort when it happens. Brene Brown talks about leaning into the discomfort and that is the way that we process emotions is instead of trying to like run away from it and distract ourselves from it, we visualize leaning into the emotion that is currently happening in our body. The second that you resist that desire and you're like, I'm using willpower, I'm using willpower, I'm not going to have it, I'm not going to have it, I'm not going to have it. That then creates what I was talking about earlier. That creates more desire. And then when it gets rewarded, you get more of a reward. And then your brain offers that same larger desire the next time. So we don't want to resist this desire. We want to just sit with it. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's nothing you can't handle. Be like Pavlov's dogs. And I want to challenge you to allow yourself to sit with 100 urges. If you have an urge, number one urge, and you sit with it, It's going to feel a certain level of discomfort. But if you do that enough times, by the 100th urge, the strength of that urge, the experience of that urge will be completely different. If you allow the desire to just be there without acting on it enough times, your brain chemistry will eventually change and adapt. 
your neural pathways will begin to change and adapt because they aren't getting rewarded like they might have been getting rewarded in the past. The goal is to decrease your desire for food. The goal is not to get rid of your desire for food. We want to keep some desire for food. Otherwise, if we didn't have it, we would die. But what we want to do is go from level 100 of desire down to level one. That donut at the gym was like a level one for me. Like it was so small and it was there if I really paid attention to it, but it was hardly noticeable and it was so easy to move on from. But that's because I have sat with hundreds and thousands of urges over the last couple of years to where now my desire for certain foods is low enough to where it doesn't distract me from anything else. I'm able to just notice it and move on very easily. Have you ever heard someone say, there was a time where I just, I didn't even want the sugar. I think that can be true to a degree. But I also think that there will always be a part of us that desires food and that desires the concentrated foods that we know we get a large dopamine hit from. And so when you say something like there was a time where I didn't even want sugar, if you were to say that now, it kind of acts like it's almost as if it removes your guard a little bit. It's like, well, I don't want it anymore, so I don't have to pay attention to myself and I don't have to pay attention to my desire anymore. And then a lot of people end up like starting eating sugar again. Now, let me be clear, I am not saying that we need to eliminate sugar in order to decrease your desire by any means, but I feel like we've all known those people that are like, I went on a diet, I didn't even want it. And yes, we can decrease our desire, but we have to pay attention to it and acknowledge that that desire will always be there to a degree, and that's okay. We just need to always be aware of our desire. That's the important part. So when you use these three tips, I mean, it's pretty simple, just anticipating the desire, planning to sit with it, and then leading into the discomfort when it happens. Once you do this enough, and once you can decrease your desire to some degree, you can work on your relationship with physical hunger. You can assess how do I think about physical hunger. Some people get really nervous when they're physically hungry, and there's so much to unpack there. Why? How is it that you think about hunger? When you are hungry, do you get anxious or nervous or angry, or is being hungry not a problem for you? Physical hunger is genuinely gentle in the beginning and non-problematic. It's almost like the body is just saying, hey, we could probably use something, but if not, no worries. I've got us covered. And it's not something that is like alarming the way that emotional hunger is. So if you are anywhere in your health journey and wanting to start again or wherever you are, if your instinct is to restrict certain foods, you can absolutely restrict from a healthy place, but... You have to check in with why you are restricting. And if you are doing it in order to rush your way somewhere, remember, nothing is wrong with the way you are now. So we don't need to rush our way anywhere. And then secondly, we have to check in with how much you want that food you are restricting. If it is a lot right now, then apply these three tips to allow your brain to adapt and to decrease that desire so that it's not so loud and urgent and distracting. What you are eating isn't the problem. It's just how much you want what you're eating. And the beautiful part about our brains is that they can change and adapt if we do it in the right way. So be like Pavlov's dogs. Don't use willpower and apply the three tips that I've taught you today. And if you want to know more, if you want to dive deeper into this, if you want to work on all of this one-on-one -on -one privately with me, you would not believe the work that can be accomplished when you work personally, privately, one-on-one -on -one with a coach. You can apply to work with me for a free consultation there is a link to that in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a great week.